You're listening to the Well Woman Healthy Lifestyle Podcast, and I'm your host, Michelle Broad, certified women's health, adult nurse practitioner, and hormone specialist. I'm a daughter, wife, mama, and nan of two, and I'm the founder of the Well Woman Network, an online women's health educational portal, where we help high-achieving businesswomen just like you up-level their business and life by teaching them how to be their number one self-care advocate through providing impactful and valuable women's wellness content and coaching programs so that you can feel empowered and informed when making health decisions for your own body. Thus, we show you how that your health is your greatest and biggest return on investment for your business and your life in a non-judgmental and not too sciencey way. All right, ladies. So I just want you to prepare yourself for today's interview because I had a great talk and I can honestly tell you that I get so excited when I get on here and I get to interview other great women who are doing great things out there in the world of women's health and functional medicine and, you know, are coming at this whole look at wellness from both a Western and a holistic Eastern type of approach. And they're looking at everything and we're looking at the why behind certain things that happened. And my guest is one of those women, a woman after my own heart. And her name is Dr. Serena Satcher. And so let me just introduce you to her a little bit before we get started with the episode. So Dr. Serena, MD, earned a degree in medicine from Mahari Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee. And she completed a residency in internal medicine at Harvard's N.E. Dekones, Beth Israel Dekones Hospital, and a second residency in physical medicine and rehabilitation at Loyola University Medical Center. She is board certified in PMR and by the American Board of Integrative Medicine. She's also board certified through Association of Holistic Integrative Medicine and Institute of Functional Medicine Certified Practitioner. Dr. Satcher previously served on the faculty of Northwestern University and University of Illinois, both in Chicago, Illinois. She has extensive experience in integrative and functional medicine, trauma-informed approaches to COVID long hauler, digestive and food sensitivity issues, autoimmune diseases, and weight management. Dr. Satcher is adept at empowering her private practice members to adopt a wellness mindset and foster behavioral and lifestyle changes to help improve clinical outcomes. Now, that is very, very impressive, right? So let me tell you something. I had a great conversation sitting down with her. We not only talked about sleep, but we also talked about sleep in relationship to gut health. And we also talked about long hauler syndrome because one of her latest obsession is helping people recover from COVID long haulers using natural solutions. The CDC and NIH say that 30% of people who endured COVID-19 have long hauler syndrome. So We're going to talk about that a little bit in the episode when we get in there too. Plus, she's also given us a great resource. I will link it here in the show notes as well as it'll be on the website page that if you click on, you can take a little teeny type of quiz. It talks to you about sleep and then she'll send you some extra goodies all about sleep. Okay, so get ready, prepare your hearts for this great interview with Dr. Serena Satcher on sleep, gut health, and COVID long haulers. So let's dive in. All right, ladies, and welcome back to another episode. And we have a great guest with us today, Dr. Serena Satcher, and she is a gut sleep doctor. She knows all things about sleep, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, because I know many of you always ask us and give questions about how can I get better sleep? I Sleep is the number one thing out there, Dr. Serena. As you know, people come in all the time. I can't sleep. So I thought it would be great to have you on here to talk about sleep since you, that's one of your fields and talk a little bit, you know, and even talk about gut and how that relates to sleep as well, because we talked about this before and just give the lady some insight because you know a lot about this more than I do since you've studied it 100%. So awesome. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I feel so blessed to have you here. Thank you. I feel blessed to be here and thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no problem. So Okay. So let's start off by, you know, talking about, you know, getting ladies acquainted with like the sleep cycle, what it is, you know, and I, they probably don't even know that they have one, what it is and like, you know, why it's important to hit these different kind of, you know, points in our sleep to wake up feeling refreshed and energized. Yeah. Yeah. So the sleep cycle stages are something kind of the sleep doctors focus on, and I'm not a I'm not a sleep specialist, 
but I do focus a lot in my practice on sleep. So um, when I get the sleep studies, I pay a lot of attention to what's happening with the sleep. And we have four sleep cycles. Uh, the first sleep cycle lasts about 10 minutes and it's like the drowsiness. It's when you have, um, sometimes when people are falling asleep, sometimes they feel like they're falling. Sometimes they are jerking a little bit. Uh, so that's all in the first stage of sleep. And usually the body temperature lowers and the blood pressure lowers during that stage. I call it like hibernation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then stage two is the light sleep cycle. And uh, of course, all these stages have certain brain waves associated with them. That's a little bit technical, but if you wanted to see what the brain waves look like, you can, you know, look it up online. Um, the second stage is last about 20 minutes. Uh, the eyes stop moving in that stage and the heart rate and the brain waves slow down. Uh, you can have some kind of wave burst, but the, the overall the waves slow down. And uh, we spend most of our time in the sleep stage, about 45% of our time in the sleep stage. Um, and then we move on to stage three. And in stage three, we're in deep sleep and there's a slowing of the rhythm of the waves and we get the delta wave activity um, and the slow wave sleep is considered in stages three and four. Um, and it can be difficult to wake someone up when they're in stages three and four. So, and people will be, you know, kind of unresponsive to noises in that stage. And um, people that have snoring will usually stop snoring around stage three or stage four. And in stage four, it's very deep sleep. Uh, there's again, slowing of the rhythm of the waves. Again, there's the Delta wave activity. Um, and this is when the REM sleep starts up. And the REM sleep is the rapid eye movement. Like you can see the person's eyes jerking rapidly and the eyes can be jerking rapidly up or down or sideways, it doesn't matter. Um, and uh, REM sleep is super important, but it's like you have to go through all the stages of sleep to get to REM sleep. And the whole stage supposedly lasts 90 minutes on average, uh, the whole stage one through the REM sleep. And we go through that whole cycle like several times a night, optimally three times a night. Um, and during REM sleep, our brain is kind of flushing out the toxins. So the lymphatic system in the brain is kind of sweeping things out. So REM is super important because it's considered restorative sleep. So we have to go through all the stages to get to REM sleep. And then REM sleep, you know, it lasts a certain amount of time, but it's restorative sleep. So it's super important. Cool. So yeah, so I could see if any of these stages before we get to actually deep and REM are interrupted, then we're never going to get to that restorative type of sleep. And that's where most of us fall, especially if you toss and turn or if you have sleep apnea before you know you have sleep apnea and you snore. Yeah, so it's it's crazy because I had done some research too on the difference on the different cycles and everything. And three times during the night, you know, that you go through all this and it's, it's just crazy. So ladies, we have to go through all of those cycles in order to get to REM sleep. So it's really important that we kind of figure out like how we're going to get all those three stages and to get us to REM so that we're actually restoring. Because a lot of us think we're sleeping. Yeah, we may be sleeping a little bit, but we're not getting to that restorative sleep. And that can lead to other chronic conditions and stuff like that too, correct? Yes. Um, so lack of sleep or inefficient sleep um, can increase overall inflammation in the body. So it can lead to almost anything. But I mean, most people are afraid of cancer. And that's, you know, we need to be concerned. And especially now with COVID, 
COVID long hauler, you know, catching COVID repeatedly increases your risk of getting COVID long hauler. Yes. Um, and then your immune system function may not be as good as it should be if your sleep is not as good as it should be. Got it. Got it too. Cool. Okay. So are there, I know that we, you know, we live in a very toxic society for many reasons and everything, but talk to the ladies about, you know, and let them know so we can reiterate because we talk about this on the show too, but I think the more times you hear every single thing, you know, it sinks in a little bit deeper and we understand it from a different perspective. So what are some of the life, life forces that, you know, or things that go on in, in a daily, your daily life that can really have a profound, you know, or a impact on your sleep? So I think the most common thing that I talk to people about are poor sleep habits or poor sleep hygiene. Like they're not going to bed at the same time of night, every night. They're not waking up at the same time in the morning. Um, and that's confusing for the brain, the nervous system, the body. Um, and that can contribute to insomnia and problems falling asleep and sustaining sleep. Um, <clears throat> having too much light inside of the home, um, especially after the sun goes down. And uh, what we call that are circadian rhythm issues or disorders. Um, and so it's like the brain is confused about when the daytime is and when the nighttime is. Um, and that involves like the pineal gland, it involves the autonomic nervous system. And the autonomic nervous system, when it gets out of order, has to be retrained. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. So it has to be retrained by habitual activity to get back into rhythm. Okay, cool. So, and then um, other things are medical issues, um, sleep apnea, I see a lot of. Um, there are problems that women have specifically like pregnancy, PCOS, um, menopause, aging. Um, I mentioned sleep apnea already. Other hormonal issues other than with the female hormones um, are like thyroid problems, which are very common. Uh, insulin resistance, which is very common. Um, inflammation, which now is so common because even people that, they may be in a household with someone that had COVID and maybe they didn't get the symptoms of COVID, yeah. but then the COVID still in their bodies causing inflammation. So that can contribute to problems with sleep too. Um, gut dysbiosis or, or microbiome issues with the gut, um, which is very, very common also. Um, so those are some of the top things, nutritional, nutritional issues, because nutritional deficiencies are very common too. A lot of people have problems with low magnesium, low potassium, uh, low vitamin D, yes. uh, B6, B12 issues, um, their genomic factors like MTHFR, like COMT, um, I'm not going to get into that, but people can look those up and yes. you can actually find like information about it. But those, those genomic and genetic issues can be difficult to interpret. So they should, if they're looking it up and they're wondering about it, they should talk to a clinician who's familiar with those. Mm -hmm. Correct. Too. Yeah. Cause of that has, it's like, um, the, one of them that, and I always get it wrong. It's MFT. HR or the other way around. Yes. Yes. MA, yes. It's, yeah. Yes. It's, you know, it's where you can't methylate your right. vitamins. So basically th for those people, you need a methylated form to take it in order right. for, it to, for it to break down, but definitely. So, you know, we see, but we see a lot of what she's saying, ladies, you know, we see, um, you know, people, we don't, I was at a conference this weekend and we were talking and we were saying, you know, we don't lack a, we, we're not, we don't have a calorie deficit in our country. We have a nutritional deficit in our country. Mm -hmm. people, you know, the food, the quality of food that, that 90% of people are consuming really has a whole lot of no, nothing in it, no nutrition. So mm -hmm. it really kind of messes up, but as you can, you know, hear Dr. Serena, 
you know, sleep can get off for many, many different things from our environment. So it's not just looking at one thing like we talk about. And I try to educate women, and I'm sure that you as well do this too, that you got to look at everything, that your environment is part of who you are, your health is part of your environment, the energy and everything that goes into it. So you have to assess many different levels when you're looking at sleep. So it's another one of those things that has few, has many different things that you have to address to help you get better. It's kind of like people come in for weight loss and it's like, weight loss is not easy. Sleep is not easy either because there can be many contributing factors, you know, like you were talking about and especially about the gut thing. So I'm glad that you said that because I want to really, I want to, I know the gut is your thing too because I see it all on your Instagram stuff as I stalk you, you know? <laughs> But um, I, we talk a lot about the gut here too. And I really want to focus in and have you, since that's your thing, really kind of talk about the gut brain, you know, connection and how your gut and the brain affects your sleep and all of those different things to there because, and the importance of that, because I think, you know, people just brush off a lot of these things and, and really don't pay attention to they're not maybe easy cures, but there's things that you can definitely start to put into your life to make things better for you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the bottom line is that we have a gut brain connection. And so everything that happens in the gut, negative or positive, is going to affect our nervous system and going to affect our brain function. Um, and they are connected by the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve controls all the autonomic function um, and other functions of the digestive system. And the vagus nerve is this long nerve that runs from the gut all the way up through the center of the body, all the way up to the base of the brain. Um, and so they've just discovered like in recent years that microbes that are in the gut are actually climbing up that nerve and going to the brain, yeah. which is kind of scary when you think about like, you know, prior to us finding that out, people were just like, you know, these systems are separate and they're not affecting each other. Um, so that's a very, very important uh, fact. And I mentioned previously that we have a lymphatic system um, in the brain, every part of the body has a lymphatic system and the lymphatics are moving around liquid and fat. Okay. Whereas our vasculature or the vascular systems moving around blood fluid. Um, but the lymphatics are important because that's a major way that our body is getting rid of toxins and toxicants. Um, and when I was mentioning the nutritional deficiencies before, there are also specific nutritional issues for the lymphatics. There are things like movement and exercise that help the lymphatics to work. Um, so the gut-brain connection is important, but it's also complicated. Our digestive system also has a part of the nervous system called the enteric nervous system. And that system is connected to the autonomic nervous system. Yes. So, so having all that to work the way it's supposed to is a complicated factor. So in the gut, um, one of the things that I, I think most people can relate to is uh, what we call dysbiosis, but it's like an imbalance of the microbes in yes. the gut. And that can contribute directly to insomnia. So I read a paper a few years ago um, that was telling me something that I already knew, but I'm like, finally, they finally like are publishing this is like that gluten and certain processed carbohydrates can cause a certain type of inflammation in a digestive system. And that causes a shift in the microbes that will then in turn cause people to have problems sleeping. Um, and they found that it wasn't just in people that were celiac or that had gluten uh, sensitivity, that it was in fact causing problems with like sleep latency and pretty much everybody. Yeah. So yeah, so what we eat 
influences the balance of the microbes in our digestive system. Eating too many processed carbohydrates is pushing it the wrong way. Um, and in fact, they've narrowed um, it down to that there's usually like a deficiency of several, of several microbes. Uh, Firmicutes is one of the categories. And then the bacteroides um, family is another category. There's a third category I'm blanking on right now, but uh, those two are more important than the third one. Mm -hmm. And actually there, there's a company, I'm not gonna name their name, that makes a probiotic that addresses that specific deficiency. And they pair it up with a couple of uh, like herbal things that help with the onset of sleep. So, um, you know, the next frontier is that they need to figure out what microbes are actually hanging out in the brain. I think that's harder to figure out, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. The connection of the gut and the brain and it's interesting that we have control over some of that with our lifestyle. Yes. Yeah. And that uh, we can do things to improve yeah. uh, that function. I definitely, I, you know, definitely we're learning so much more because, you know, you're, you're, we talk about like your gut is your second brain and it houses your neurotransmitters. And I think that, you know, we're now it was kind of like the pendulum is kind of like swung way over here and now it's kind of swinging backward. And I think that, you know, even though like I, I talk a lot that, you know, the pandemic, the, you know, COVID was, you know, not a great, you know, as far as the effects, but mm -hmm. the eye awakening for some of what it brought about. And I think that we even need to place, like you were saying, much more emphasis on building your immunity, getting back to gut health and and really helping the body to be at its most functional level so that it can do its job to mm -hmm. fight off and do what it needs to do. You know, yeah. I think that so many of us, you know, ill get ill and have like diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. You know, we have the genetic factor, definitely. That has to always play a factor in there. But just, I mean, there's so much that lifestyle does and brings about that people just don't see that they could have a lot of, they could have a lot of effect on whether that genetic button gets pulled or triggered versus, you know, not. So I, I'm, I'm glad that you said that too, and about exercise and, and movement and getting the lymphatic system going, because, you know, I try to talk to the ladies on the show too, and whatever topic that we're talking about, I try to show them how those four or five fundamentals, you know, better sleep, getting movement, eating better, drinking more water, you know, and just what you think, you know, how all of those come into all these different separate categories of problems that they think that they have, you know? So exercise and movement, ladies, and we're not talking that you have to go, like I always say, go to the gym and pump iron for 90 minutes. You know, it's just getting that body going. And then um, you were talking about, you know, you mentioned a, a probiotic, you mentioned prebiotics. We've talked about that here too, because that helps the gut get back what it needs. And I think everybody needs to be taking those, you know, because we just, a lot of the stuff and the processed foods, like you said, in the food, our body cannot, number one, we can't even pronounce them ourselves, let alone can our body process that stuff. So you need to give it some help, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I tell people in my practice that those processed foods are not foods. Like we're calling them foods, but they're not really foods. Our, our bodies don't recognize them as foods. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I kind of give the illustration, like, you know, the, the fake sugars, you've got the pink packet, the blue packet and the yellow packet, and then you've got sugar. Now, do we want to eat a lot of sugar? No, we want to keep that down too. But the body knows what to do with glucose, but it doesn't know what to do with those other three things. So it kind of like sits there and has to try to figure it out and it can't. So what does it do? It just stores it someplace, you know, or does whatever. So yeah, you know, so tell me a little bit about, okay, so I'm just going to veer off onto the gut a little bit, if you don't mind here. No problem. But like, um, what are some of the things in the foods that um, can really, that you think that they should stick towards or the better stuff that they can start shopping for and put in their carts that's going to help with gut health. Like what kind of carbs or do you recommend? What kind of, you know, is there like some vegetables or something, just, you know, some major, little major things or things like that you think they can put in every day, the ladies to kind of help make their gut better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I watch a lot of podcasts too, and uh, try to keep myself up on uh, nutrition. 
uh, you know, disclaimer, I'm not a nutritionist, but I have like a lot of training in nutrition. Um, and really when I first start working with people, I'm trying to get them to eat as many vegetables as possible, at least half of their plate. Yay. <laughs> the green or colored vegetables that are not corn, that are not white potatoes, sweet potatoes are fine, but that should be like a percentage, not the whole half of the plate. Correct. Um, so, and that is because vegetables have a lot of fiber and what the microbes feed on in the gut are the fibers. Um, some of the fibers are soluble, which means like that they go into inside of our system from the gut and some are insoluble. And that means that the, the fiber stays in the gut and it just kind of sweeps through the gut. Mm -hmm. We need a lot of both. Um, some foods that I think have the biggest bang for the buck when it comes to fiber um, are, they may be a little more expensive though, are um, artichokes mm -hmm. and bok choy. Um, I also like the brassicas family because the brassicas family of vegetables, which are things like broccoli, cauliflower, um, they, that family and collard greens, which is one of my favorite kale, um, those greens have a lot of fiber, um, but they also have a lot of phytonutrients, which just, just means beneficial chemicals that are in, uh, the, the brassicas family and those phytochemicals help our body to fight cancer. Right. Yeah, and keep everything working well inside the body. So, yeah, and then, you know, fruits are good and fruits have a lot of fiber um, as well. I think there are certain fruits that have more benefits than other fruits. Uh, when it comes to like the, uh, the phytochemicals or the beneficial chemicals, it's definitely the berries. Uh, yes. And when, you, when we're eating berries, we really need to strive to get organic if we can, because uh, like certain fruits will absorb pesticides and chemicals more readily. So things that have like a soft skin that's edible are going to absorb the chemicals more readily. So I always tell people, you know, try to go towards um, eating more berries um, there's nothing wrong with, you know, like the other fruits. Apple has a lot of pectin. Um, the citrus fruits have a lot of benefits to the liver and also to our mood and also to the feeling of satiation. You know, the citrus oils are really beneficial in that way that you don't feel so hungry if you like smell some of the citrus oils or if you even take them internally. So yeah, definitely. So that's, that's good. So we always talk about eating lots of fruits, I mean, lots of vegetables and those coriferous vegetables, like you mentioned, broccoli, cauliflower, and just, you know, starting to explore with them too. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people who really haven't had a lot of vegetables, you know, they think that French fries and their ketchup and I, and I get that. I don't put anybody down where they're starting. And I think we all have to start at some place. Mm -hmm. But it's just starting to maybe add one or two more into your thing, or maybe doing looking up a different recipe instead of just eating it plain. If you don't like it, how you can do something different. But I think that definitely, you know, like you're saying, definitely nutrition plays a big factor in in the gut. It plays a big factor. I tell people too with your mood because you know you house those neurotransmitters in your gut. Helps with anxiety. Helps with depression. Um, you know, we need our liver to you know clarify and get out um, hormone to detox our hormones. So if those things in our body are not working well, then we're going to have issues in other areas. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that kind of leads us good right into the next question too, because um, I know that you work with women too, just like I do. And a lot of women, you know, do they, they ask, you know, can a hormonal imbalance, can that also play a factor in us having some insomnia? And does it like, is there times at different stages of our hormonal stuff that insomnia may be increased? Yes. So um, I mentioned it briefly, but I'm going to get into it a little bit more now uh, that you're asking specifically about it, because, um, you know, <laughs> women, first of all, we have like 600 neurotransmitters and hormones in our bodies. 
And women have a little more uh, variation of the sex hormones than men do. So it makes us a little more complicated. We know we're complicated, but we're, com- we're complicated in a good way, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, you know, all through our life stages, we have different things happening with the hormones that can cause interference with sleep. Yeah. Now, some women will remember like when they got their periods, like in the beginning, there may not have been so much uh, issue. And then as they got older and got more like breast tissue, got more fat on their bodies, that they may have noticed differences in their sleep cycles. Sometimes people sleep a lot during their periods. Uh-huh. Sometimes people have insomnia, like at the beginning of their period. So there can be variations but uh, those variations are due to the effects of progesterone and estrogen. And some people like may be uh, pushing themselves too much physically or mentally during that fluctuation in their hormones. Mm-hmm. And that can cause more stress hormone. Yes. And, and that can interfere with thyroid function. I mean, it's just the whole cycle <laughs> yes. of stuff going on. So, you know, that's why, like, when you read what women used to do in the old days, you know, they would stay in the home and kind of home make or not do too much and try to rest during their periods. And that's so you're, you're just not stressing the body because I mean, I know women going out and running 20 miles, you know, and they have to learn the hard way, you know, so kind of like paying attention to the body Um, at that stage is important. Um, And then we have pregnancy where we have sustained elevations in the hormones. Uh, You know, women can get like reflux that can interfere with sleep. Um, There can just be plain interferences with like the sleep waves Mm -hmm. uh, during pregnancy. So, you know, um, I would say on the whole, most women in like the first trimester and maybe part of the second trimester notice that they need to take naps, they need more rest, um, you know, and I would say it's very individual, like how their body is going to handle pregnancy, but know that there are challenges with the hormones. Um, also, there's an increased risk of sleep apnea mm-hmm. during pregnancy, also in PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian mm-hmm. uh, syndrome, um, and also with aging and menopause, there's an increased risk they say like there's a 60 something percent risk that you could have sleep apnea after menopause. I didn't realize it was that high, but yeah, it's interesting to know because I know that I'm seeing an epidemic of of sleep apnea. I don't know what you're seeing, but uh, clinically um, there, there have been publications in the past two years also tying the sleep apnea to processed carbohydrates intake. So it's directly related to processed carbohydrates. So these conditions and PCOS has a high correlation to the American diet. Yes. So, so, you know, we can, you know, surmise from this data that we don't need to be eating processed foods. Uh, Yeah. So So, and uh, in the literature, they say that estrogen controls like the, the initial sleep stages. So it's like the sleepiness, falling asleep, the alpha waves are tied to estrogen. Mm -hmm. Progesterone sustains relaxation of the muscles and Mm -hmm. sleep. So progesterone has more to do with keeping you asleep. Right. Okay. And then um, I mentioned thyroid, and this is something that I see a lot, um, is that in menopause, your um, conversion of T4 to T3, which is the active form of Mm -hmm. thyroid hormone, tends to decrease because there's less estrogen and estrogen binds to the thyroid. So the estrogen is, is playing a role in how much thyroid hormone is being released. And it's also playing a role of the conversion of the T4 to T3 in the liver. Right. So the liver is less effective after 
um, menopause. And we know that because there's increased insulin resistance, mm -hmm. increased inflammation with menopause after menopause. So, you know, um, I see a lot of um, problems with converting and therefore problems with like sustaining sleep because of the thyroid. Definitely. Um, and I would say too, that uh, during menopause, a lot of people have issues with adrenal function. Mm -hmm. So they may have like adrenal insufficiency. And this is not something that conventional medicine really recognizes. Yes. I think some of them are starting to, you know, say to their patients, you know, it may be your adrenals, but it's not something I can diagnose, but there right. are other doctors that are talking about it. So you may want to consider, you know, something to kind of tone up the adrenals and help them to work better. Okay. So, but adrenal either insufficiency or um, kind of hyper-functioning of the adrenals, but not quite Cushing's, which is excess. Right. And not quite Addison's, right. which is zero adrenal. It's kind of in between. Um, those states can cause insomnia or early waking or different issues with the sleep cycles. Correct. I mean, uh, there's a lot of studies that show too, if you fall asleep, but then you wake up and like you're like this, that's like a cortisol spike type of thing too. Yeah. And, and you know, you're not going to Unfortunately, the, the the conventional tests, you know, that we have for cortisol AM, you know, those are not going to catch the other things. And you're right, Western medicine does not necessarily look at saliva testing or look at cortisol awakening or cortisol throughout your day. And they def and there's no such well, I think the word maybe adrenal fatigue is coming around a little more so to the into the Western world, but it's still kind of like over here. But I think that that they're starting to see a shift. It's kind of like when um you know, when fibromyalgia first came about, oh, it was poo, 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 this and, you know, nothing. And now we see that, yes, because we have, it's a diagnosis now. And I think somewhere down the road, we're going to see adrenal fatigue as a diagnosis coming up because we're seeing a lot of it and certain things, like you said, you know, just, we only have, like I tell you, we only have so much that we can do like with blood work and that you can look at, like physically look at blood work. But that does not mean that if your blood work comes back fine, that things are always working. We don't always have exact tests to test how your body might be off or different things. You know, you're just kind of looking at it from a holistic type of thing, like you said. And all these different um, stages that, you know, you go through, you know, your childbearing years, then your, you know, your perimenopausal years when your hormones are all over the kind of place, then you have your menopausal years. You know, you've got to learn how to, um, adapt your life and how to support your life through nutrition and everything else through these different stages, because you need different things at different times. So mm -hmm. I think that's great that you said about all different stages and about menopause. And especially we're seeing like right now, I don't know about you, but out here spike in like type two diabetes. Oh yeah. And we're, seeing, and we're seeing, especially even after COVID, because, you know, now, you know, the COVID 30, the COVID 20, whatever the people are calling it, you know, and, you know, a lot of weight gain that happened. And then that, all the stress and the anxiety added onto that, that changes everything. So it's been, yeah, it's just, we, every, I think everything autoimmune has gone up quite prominently yeah. too, all these last two years. Yeah. It's just crazy. We don't talk about, so that's the thing I get upset about is like, we don't talk about those type of things. You know, we, yes, there's, you know, there's, there's medications that can help with COVID. There's, you know, if you choose to do the shots or whatever your preference is, but no matter what that is, we all have to sustain ourselves on this side, you know, through all those things like you're talking about, those are important because that helps all those other things, you know, so we can't just rely on one. We need to kind of convert the two, like you said. So I know that originally, Kay, at the beginning, you mentioned about COVID and COVID long hauler. So let's talk a little bit about that and how COVID and especially, you know, repeated bouts of COVID can lead to long hauler, even maybe like sometimes one bout for some people can lead to the long hauler syndrome and how that affects gut health. And then in turn, like some sleep too. And let's define what long hauler is because I think not, it's not a common term that we're hearing out there either. We're just giving it to patients when they come back and their, and their symptoms are lasting for a longer period of time. Yeah, so uh, long hauler, well, let's talk about COVID first. Just COVID by itself can cause kind of an out of control or uh, difficult to control level of inflammation 
in the body. And that inflammation can hang around for a while. Um, and, you know, that's why it's important to do some things to maintain the immune system uh, mm -hmm. so that when you do get it, you can just, you know, squash it uh, pretty quickly. Um, and I've had it and, but I have things that I do that squash it. Like I, the last time I got it, I was only sick for one day. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, you know, if you're sick longer than that, uh, it's probably and that you have some issues, you know, that you need to work on that medications are not going to help you with. Right. Like, yes. So yeah. it's the immune system. And it's the gut, like we mentioned before, uh, the gut. And I didn't mention that two thirds of our immune system resides in mm -hmm. our digestive system. So the digestive say that, one more, say that one more time, please. They hear it loud and clear. So two thirds of our immune system resides in our digestive system, all the way from the mouth to the anus. Mm -hmm. So if we look at slides like pathology slides in the mouth, we see lymph nodes on all sides. Mm -hmm. Okay. Even in the lips. Okay. So like, you know, say if I have a food allergy, if I just put it in my mouth, mm -hmm. then, and if I just put a little tiny bit in my mouth, mm -hmm. it is going to cause an immune reaction throughout my body. It's not going to just be my mouth, my lip swelling which people will note because they can see that, but it's also going to cause the rest of the lymph nodes throughout the digestive system to be like increase in size, to bring in a lot of cells, cause inflammation, you know? So we need to keep that in mind because I've seen a lot of people like eat foods that they know that they're having sensitivities and alert, you know, allergic reactions. And they're like, can I just eat a little bit? No, I know. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but if you think about how your body responds, like with an allergy, it's kind of the same thing with COVID, but it's on steroids right. and they call that, that cytokine storm. So there's all these cells that are emitting chemicals that have a huge amount of inflammation and all the symptoms are stemming from that. Um, so what we know so far with the research is that COVID is really getting in. And I knew this from the beginning because I started researching COVID before it reached the United States. I was researching it when it was in China. Uh -huh. I was looking at what they were doing because they had their traditional Chinese medicine practitioners like going out into the villages yep. doing acupuncture and putting people on certain diets to try to calm calm the reaction down try to shorten the course and they were they were shortening the course without medication yep so so um what i know is that uh we strongly suspect from the research that covid is getting in through what we call a leaky gut Mm -hmm. So it's a gut that's on fire from like the foods we're eating or stress or whatever's going on uh, that kind of like primes, you know, yes. COVID to be able to get in and take over, even though it's a quote unquote respiratory virus, mm -hmm. you know, it's rec recognized that it's spread through the respiratory system. It goes straight to the gut. It causes worse dysbiosis. And I suspect they haven't shown this yet in long COVID because they're just starting to do the research. But I suspect that it's a situation where the people that have COVID symptoms that last past, I think they're saying five months now, mm -hmm. um, when it lasts past that length of time, they call it long COVID. And I think in the future, we will find that it's tied again to the leaky gut. Oh. And that, that the person may feel better temporarily, but then they kind of get sick again because it's never been cleared from the gut. And I'm seeing in people that like they clear, you know, they drop their levels of the virus, but then they get a stressor 
or maybe they go out to eat somewhere and they're not quite sure what was, you know, yeah. what was given to them. They didn't really check it out. And then they have the leaky gut going again and then they get COVID again, or they feel like they're getting the symptoms, but then they go take the test and the test is negative. So they're like, you know, they don't, people just don't know in general what's going on. Got it. Too. So, so, um, what it has to do with sleep is that we immediately knew from the research that people were dropping their melatonin levels. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole uh, cascade that originates from B6, goes like serotonin, melatonin, it affects uh, those levels. So uh, with the COVID, it affects the melatonin, it lowers the melatonin level. So then people have difficulty, they could have difficulty falling asleep, they could have difficulty sustaining sleep. Um, so often we'll give people melatonin, maybe even at higher doses yes. when they have COVID-19. And we know from research that melatonin is also anti-inflammatory. It's actually being used in cancer yes. Yes. Uh, to help control inflammation. So um, we're doing that with COVID-19 and with COVID long hauler Got to it. help people to sleep through the night. Yeah, definitely. I read a study too, where, um, just recently about even for, um, with cancer, like they're using up to hundred milligrams of, you know, of melatonin, not that we're ladies we're recommending it here. We're just saying it's in the science. It's what's being researched, but there's a big correlation, you know, between melatonin and your serotonin. And because melatonin is a precursor to your serotonin. And then that also lives in the gut, which you're talking about. What I want you to do just in like layman's terms for the ladies is let them know, because they probably, a lot of them don't know, even though we've talked about it, like we go over what leaky gut is mm -hmm. and talk about that and like how the proteins, bigger things get through the gut and then they get into our system and our body attacks it type of thing. Yes. So what happens in, in the digestive system, um, when we're eating certain foods, it causes inflammation and the inflammation gets to a level where in the membrane, we have what's called tight junctions, mm -hmm. which maintains like these, these um, areas that are tightly fitted where when we get microbes in our diet, which is every day, uh, when we get like certain things can be more inflammatory, like lectins, like beans, like, uh, it's a lectin is a chemical that's in uh, gluten. Mm -hmm. um, so when we get more of those, it can kind of loosen up those tight junctions. Um, and when we get inflammation, it can make those tight junctions uh, spread out way far apart. And that actually releases a protein called zonulin that we can measure in the bloodstream. Um, so the amount of zonulin in the bloodstream correlates with the leakiness that we're seeing there but we don't have to measure zonulin to know that you have leaky gut. Like if you have reflux disease, mm -hmm. you have leaky gut. If you're having ulcers or if you have gastritis, you have leaky gut. Mm -hmm. uh, those are just symptoms of leaky gut. If you have IBS, diarrhea, or constipation, you have leaky gut. Or SIBO, which is an infection in the small intestine, or EMO, which is the large intestine. So any of those, is indicating that you have uh, leaky gut. And um, what happens is the large particles, microbes, and you know, whatever toxicants are in there can get directly into your bloodstream uh, through those basically microscopic holes that are existing. So the, the the elements that get into the bloodstream and they've actually seen food particles in the bloodstream, yeah. like macroscopic <laughs> food particles yeah. in the bloodstream that causes inflammation and sets up an inflammation cascade, which can just, you know, this can be a daily thing. And they suspect that we go in and out of leaky gut, depending on what we're eating. Right. Like this is kind of an everyday thing, but you get symptomatic when it gets bad and when your body is not able to heal it yeah and and that is the precursor to autoimmune disease because basically the way i explain it just in simple terms to people is autoimmune disease and even like covid some of these like chronic lyme chronic mold 
it's a situation where your immune system is confused because mm -hmm. normally your immune system puts out these cells, it puts out antibodies and that takes care of the problem, right? It isolates the problem, kills it or whatever. But if the problem keeps continuing, the body is like, man, we've put out, you know, we've done the best that we could do. What, what is happening here? Yeah. <laughs> like, do we just need to throw like a nuclear bomb out there? Like, what's the problem? And so your system is just continuing to hype up, hype up, but then you're depleting your B vitamins, yeah. you're depleting vitamin D, you're depleting zinc, you're depleting selenium, you're depleting these nutrients that your other organs are depending on to function properly. Yes. So then your organs have no choice but to start like dysfunction and yeah. start causing problems. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, see, it's like, it's a whole type of cascade type of thing, you know, that you have to kind of work on. But I think that, you know, if you start, if you see the the puzzle and you put the pieces, it's easy to start to work on different areas. And it doesn't have to be like overwhelming ladies. It doesn't have to be something that, oh my God, you know, it's because people think when it comes to good health, that they're going to be in deprivation. They have to change their everything. It's slowly, you know, you don't have to be a radical about it, but as you can hear, it's, you know, you need to do it. Yeah. And it's, it's piece by piece. So suppose you just change one habit a week. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. You'll end up by the end of the year, like with 52 different things that you changed that improve your health. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know that you mentioned it earlier, but go ahead and restate it. Some of the, what are some of the environmental things that, you know, women can do to help them better improve their sleep? I know you talk and we talked about this in the podcast too, about, you know, bedroom light, but go ahead and tell, repeat some of those things that you think, you know, are the masks, you know, tell me about the, a lot of people are, they want to know, are the masks good to wear it and during, you know, for that, um, all that kind of good stuff like that. So I'm going to talk about light first, since you mentioned the mask, um, anything that can make your brain's perception be of darkness of complete darkness will help. However, um, they've shown in studies that like, say the, the glasses, the, the amber glasses or the blue blocker glasses, um, or like the things that cover the eyes, your pineal gland is here. So when light, uh, touches that, obviously that's going to tell your brain it's daylight, but they've shown that the whole head and actually your skin have receptors and neurotransmitters that are communicating with your brain that it's the body seeing light. So you really need to be in complete darkness as much as possible. Got and it. even like I've gone around my bedroom, like you can buy this black tape that yeah. uh, blocks the light. So anything, you know, you can have things plugged in the wall and they may have like green light or red light uh -huh. or something, just cover it up. Okay. Yeah. And then um, a cool room. So the temperature they say like 60 degrees is what's recommended. Um, you know, I tell people 60 to 65, I live in the South, so they're not going to do 60. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, here we live in California and it's blazing hot. And I just got back from Arizona. It was 106, even it was 99 wow. at nighttime. So it was like, <laughs> wow. Wow. And then having a comfortable bed and linens. Oh, I left out of the lights. They recommend that, uh, if you can in rooms where you're spending time after the sun goes down to put Amber lights, you Got can it. actually buy light bulbs that are Amber. Got it. Okay. Um, stop eating three hours before you go to bed. So you're being the proper stage of digestion when you go to bed, uh, eliminate pets and plants from the bedroom. That's another common thing. I, I see people sleeping with pets. They have plants that can, could have mold or other allergens in the bedroom. Um, it's best not to have carpet if you can control it in your bedroom, because uh, that also harbors a lot of dust. Exercising during the day, at least 20 minutes um avoiding stimulants so you know i don't know if you know about the studies that just came out about caffeine and coffee yeah. chocolate those interfere with the brain waves actually in the REM sleep so and it doesn't matter the level of consumption um they also showed it didn't matter like if you were doing it super early in the morning or later in the day like it didn't matter it was always interfering 
Um, I like herbal teas like Tulsi, Tension Tamer, Sleepy Time, Ruboy's tea that comes from South Africa. Mm -hmm. um, One of my favorites. No yeah, noise. So they did studies on children in schools in New York, yeah. uh, the public schools. And some of the children lived in an area where it was like a lot of traffic and noise. And then some of the children lived in areas where it was quiet. And the children that lived in areas where it was noisy. So when they were sleeping at night, they were exposed to chronic noise, even though they're sleeping fine, but the noise is in the background. Yes. Uh, this interfered with their ability to focus and concentrate during the day. I suspect it's like that for adults too. Absolutely. Uh, so we'll have to wait for those studies. Um, I love forest bathing. Have you heard of that? The Japanese yeah. do it. So, and it's becoming popular here now, especially out where you are, out West, uh, because you can go, people are taking their families out in the woods, like for a camping trip. And then what you're supposed to do is expose as much skin to the ground and the soil as possible. Um, this has multiple benefits because it's grounding. I don't yes. know if you've heard of grounding. Yes, yes. Yeah, but getting the negative ions from the earth. And then it's also the microbes that are in the soil. So you're breathing that in. So even just going into the forest on a regular basis, they found the air carries enough soil microbes that affect the microbiome in your body, making it healthier and more diverse. Also, you can get negative ions from being near the ocean. So if you live near the ocean and if you go out to the ocean periodically, you'll see that you sleep better yes. on those days when you go out there for an hour or two and get exposed to the negative ions. Yeah. Yeah. So forest space. A good reason to go and take a vacay. <laughs> Just get out and about. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, of course, there are certain foods that also help improve sleep. Um, you know, one that I talk to people about a lot is egg yolks because it has a lot of uh, B vitamins. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know we have a lot of vegans out there, but it's, it's hard to replace the nutrients that you get in the egg yolk. Um, and for people that eat meat, like the organ meats have a lot of, you know, the minerals have a lot of, uh, the B vitamins as well, yeah. like liver. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then, you know, people discovered a long time ago that like warm milk, there's certain things that are in the warm milk. Uh, but I would, you know, uh, like tell people don't, don't do that. If you have problems with dairy, right. if you have diabetes, you probably don't need to be doing, uh, or thyroid issues or autoimmune, you don't need to be doing milk. Um, but the people that can tolerate milk, get the best milk that they can afford. Um, and then heat up a little bit of it. And that helps people to fall asleep. Tryptophan that's in things like turkey, uh, meat, also help people to fall asleep. It's a precursor for right. serotonin. Yep. Yep. So, you know, and there are other foods that I'm probably missing, uh, like whole grains also have more B vitamins um, and help people with sleep. Those are good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So we talked about the environmental things. So now let's round it out and, and we can just kind of like wrap everything up too that we're talking about. Like, what are some of the supplements that you recommend that, you know, that people can try, women can try if they want to like add in, like besides all the foods and doing the environmental things and they're still not getting where they need to go, something that they can help that that's going to aid in sleep besides taking a medication for sleep. So the downside of the medications is that they all have side effects and they're not sustainable. Mm -hmm. So they're not things that should be done even for a month long because they're going to affect like the sleep stages. They're going to have negative effects and people they're they're even though they may be labeled as non-addicting, we know from practice that they are addicting because mm -hmm. people become psychologically dependent on yes. them. Yes. Yeah, so one of the top things that I'll try first with people is ashwagandha. It's a toning herb that helps with adrenal function. It helps with thyroid function. Um, but 
if you're low, it helps bring you up. But if you're high, it helps bring you down. So we call that like a, an adaptogen or a tonifier. Yep. Um, so that's one of my favorite things. I'll usually just give people one dose at bedtime and start off with that and see how that helps people. That helps a lot of people. Okay. Um, a lot of people have trouble with sustaining sleep yes. that are women in you know, the middle age group like perimenopausal, menopausal, um, that ashwagandha is going to help. Other things like uh, valerian will help sustain sleep, like kava kava, but we're, we worry about hepato or liver toxicity yes. with kava kava, so it's not as popular anymore. Passion flower is another one of my favorites. Um, <clears throat> now, there are many herbs and supplements that you can use for sleep. I mean, there are a ton. Um, but one of the other very popular ones are, is CBD oil from uh, cannabis or hemp. Yep. Um, and generally women that are in the menopausal, perimenopausal are going to need the higher doses mm -hmm. for sleep uh -huh, because it's going to help to kind of like balance the hormones um, at all times of the day. So uh, that's another good one. I mean, uh, I use uh, essential oils for people. Uh, like lavender, lemon balm, chamomile, uh, tension blend, arbor vitae, um, respiratory blend. Um, and then there are things like, uh, I, I mentioned Tulsi tea before, mm -hmm. that's holy basil, hops, uh, lemon balm, linden, Macula purians, which is from the lacuna bean, which is a precursor for dopamine. Okay. So okay. a lot of people are having problems with dopamine and serotonin because yes. of the leaky gut. Yes. And so then you provide the precursors and then they sleep better. And that's, that's more of a temporary type of thing. Like you don't want to be taking that supplement like forever. Okay. Uh, motherwort, skullcap. Uh, I mentioned previously 5-HTP melatonin people over the counter shouldn't be taking more than five milligrams you need some kind of clinician helping you decide if you need more than five milligrams okay uh, yeah so so we have covered a ton of stuff so that's really good i mean we not only talked about sleep ladies but then we talked about gut we talked about how the gut sleep can you know be a factor then um she talked about dr serena talked about you know covid and covid long haulers and inflammation just and i mean i think it was really great what she's what you said too just to kind of explain to people the the, the mechanism behind covid you know the inflammation is what's really what it does and that's where the damage is coming <clears throat> from so things that we can do to help with that help with everything so she mm -hmm. talked about natural things you can do. She gave you some great supplements. Always check with your medical provider about supplements. As you know, we talk about here because if you have some illnesses, you're on medications, certain herbs and supplements may not um, go well with that. So please always check with your medical provider to make sure if you're adding in any kind of supplements or herbs or anything that they are good for you. You know, also get, you know, get your, your normal blood work done of things that you can do if you need other things above and beyond that look to um, functional medicine people, um, doctors, providers, other things like that, because they can do other testing as well. But I think we learned a lot. So tell me where, I know you have a, you you have a freebie for them. So tell us, they can, I'm going to put the ladies, we'll put the link and everything, but there's a, she, Dr. Serena, tell us about your freebie. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to, the freebie is going to, the link is going to connect you to a survey and I'm just asking you to give me a little bit of input because I take care of a lot of people, but I'd love to know like what you're having problems with and what you need help with. And um, then I'll send you a PDF um, about sleep. Um, I'm also going to send you, I didn't tell you I had, had uh, also two um, infographics, like they can print them out and cut them out and stick them on the refrigerator. Or oh, cool. cool. They're like in color. Yeah. Good. So. And then yeah. where, can they, where, the, where can they hook up with you on, give us your Instagram thing and also tell us your website and how they can get in touch with you as well. So my Instagram is treat yourself to health and, or at treat yourself to health. And I have the same handle on Facebook, uh, treat yourself to health. 
And then my website is treat yourself to health all smashed together.com. Um, and on Instagram, you know, they can drop a DM on there. Same on Facebook. Uh, they can also uh, contact me um, if they are in a state I'm licensed in, um, you know, I can meet with them on the phone for 10 minutes for free. Um, you just go to my website and go to the contact page. And then there's a link there to sign up for the 10 minute freebie. Okay, cool. And then we're going to link ladies. It'll be in the show notes as well as we're going to put it on the, um, on the actual website. So you'll just be able to click the link. You can go take the quiz and get um, those, those freebies that she's offering to you. So you can stick something up that's great as a reminder. And you know, listen to, if you um, love the podcast or you love this episode, we would really love it from the bottom of our hearts. If you could hit the share button, you know, share it with some girlfriends because Dr. Serena gave a lot of good advice and sleep is something that anybody can do better with at any age. So share it with a girlfriend, leave us a rating review over on Instagram. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Come on over, follow Dr. Serena, follow us at Well Woman Network as well, you know, and leave us DMs. We talk to people all the time and she's very willing to answer questions if you need to get the freebies because it's going to help you. And, you know, ladies, any information that can improve your health, I am wholeheartedly, you know, take advantage of it from different people and learn what they, you know, seek their knowledge. And we're all out here trying to help you become your number one self-care advocate to reach optimal health for yourself so that you can go out there and do all the things that you were meant to do. So like I always say, ladies, you know, may God richly bless your week and we'll talk to you later and bye for now.